Thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions, please email us at info at If you would like to support this ministry financially, visit us at capitalchristian.com and click the Give button in the top right corner. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Laramie, so much. That was beautiful. Well, here we are on Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday, can you believe we're one week away from Easter? Palm Sunday, this is the fulfillment of Zechariah where it says, Behold your king riding on a donkey. And they had palm branches singing, Hosanna, Hosanna. We're one week away. Can you believe, it actually four or five days away from the Passover and Jesus going to the cross. And we know what happens on the third day. Jesus was resurrected. We sang it this morning. And he, is, he was resurrected so we could be resurrected. And so this is a good day to celebrate and praise the name of Jesus. And that's what we're going to talk about today. But are you excited to be here this morning? Thank you for braving the snow. Can you believe that? I mean, it's a winter wonderland out there as we've entered into spring. Isn't God, he has such a great sense of humor. He's amazing how he, how he does that. And it actually kind of, in a way, perfectly illustrates my message today that, you know, just I, one of my friends posted um, yesterday when she had snow where she was at, and she said, it's so like God, you know, just when you think you're going to enter into a new season. It's almost like God says, there's just a little bit more that I have for you in this season. And so this snow is a beautiful reminder. Maybe today say, God, what is it that you have for me in this season? Before we burst into spring, and I mean, it's probably going to be here in like four hours knowing Idaho, right? It'll be like sunny in like four hours from now. So just ask God, God, what do you have for me as we close out winter, as we go into spring? It's a beautiful, the weather's and the seasons are a beautiful picture of what our life would God is like, you know, that there's different seasons and things that God is doing in our lives. And so I think God has something special for us today. Slow teaches, snow teaches us to slow down. And so um, I'm glad that you were able to make it today and have a great um, time driving home safely in the snow. But we're going to today close out um, Habakkuk. And if you've been here with, the la- with us for the last two weeks, we've been going through the book of Habakkuk and Pastor Chris brilliantly. I mean, it, it's amazing. It's only been two weeks, right? Because the content is so rich. It's so good because, of course, it's the word of God. And and Pastor Chris, my husband, has an amazing ability to just drench us in so much truth that shapes us and makes us more like Jesus. And I'm so thankful for him. And honestly, it's just, it's hard to follow him, you know? It's like any of us that know that have to get up here after he preaches, it's like, okay, you know, but God is great, God is good, and God is faithful, and we are one, so I have that, we, I receive that same anointing of today in Jesus' name, but it's my honor to get to close out this series. Um, we, it was a short series, just three weeks, and Habakkuk is just three short chapters, so if you've never read the book of Habakkuk before, I encourage you to do so. It's a quick read, and it's really, really good and really powerful, and so um, I want to I'm going to kind of close this out today, but before I do, I wanted to do a quick little overview because there's just been so many awesome truths that we've learned in the last two two weeks, and I want us to remember and rehearse them really quickly, and if you weren't able to be here last week or perhaps the week before, this will just kind of get you up to speed, Um, and I encourage you to also go back and listen to those messages online, but Habakkuk was a man in great distress. Um, We we titled this series, um, I think, 
what did we call it? Learning to walk by faith in a world defined by feeling. There we go. Living by faith in a world defined by feeling. And this is where we get the scripture, the righteous shall live by faith. And so Habakkuk is a man in great distress because he, he was, it was in a time of spiritual decline in, in Judah. And the people had turned away from God and were given over to false gods. And, and he was in distress over this. And, and he also, God had given him a word um, in, in the first chapter, I believe, that God was going to use wicked Babylon to come and um, bring judgment to Judah. And so he was wrestling with this. God, why would you do that? Have you ever been there before? God, your, God's ways are mysterious to us, right? We don't necessarily understand why God does the things that he does. And that's why he, we later learn in the book that the righteous must live by faith. And so he's wrestling. He's trying to reconcile what he what he knows to be true, what God has spoken to him, with what he sees with natural eyes, because they're not really lining up. Have you been there before in your own life, where God has given you a promise and spoken something to you, but nothing in sight says that it's happening? And so we have Habakkuk saying, how long, oh God? And this is what the first chapter is all about. It's all about Habakkuk pouring out his complaint to God and saying, how long, oh God, until you act? And so what's so encouraging, number one, about the book of Habakkuk, and we also see this throughout the book of Psalms, is that God can handle our complaints. In fact, he is the one we are meant to take our complaint to. Don't sit there and be all holy and pretend like you don't have a complaint because you do. The problem is, is we get it backwards because there's a scripture that says, do all things without grumbling and complaining so you could be a bright light in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Well, we, we do the opposite. We take our, we go to God and we, we try to have it all together and have these perfectly crafted prayers, right? And God just must get a kick out of that because he knows what we're thinking, right? And we do the opposite. We go to our friends and we dump on them, right? And we pour out our complaint to everyone. And you could pour out your complaint to 10 people and I promise you, you're not gonna feel better. You're probably gonna feel worse, right? Because God is the only one designed to handle our complaints. And a lot of times people don't experience freedom or feel faith because they haven't done what they're supposed to do with their complaint. You are meant to take your complaint to him. He can handle it. It's safe there. Do you know that you are meant to be honest in prayer? We're not to sugarcoat how we feel or think. No, freedom comes when we take our fear and we bring it to the feet of the only one who can do something about it. He can handle our complaint. You know, prayer is like a portal. It's, it continually amazes me how I can go into prayer feeling one way, fully convinced that, God, there's no way you're going to change my mind about this, right? But I go into prayer, and what happens in prayer when we yield our heart to him, and we say, God, speak to me. God, show me your, show me your perspective. It's like a portal. We step in one way. And it's amazing. We come out a different way. Who, 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 where are my 80s babies at? Remember the Jetsons? Does anybody remember that? I mean, I still dream about this. Come on, when are they going to make this machine, right? Where you, I remember, was it Judy Jetson? I don't even know. But I remember she would go in like, you know, like women, you know, like just hair everywhere. We know what we look like when we wake up in the morning, right? And she would step up, step into the machine and like, 
It would do her makeup. It would do her hair. It like put on her outfit. I mean, come on, somebody invent this machine, please. And so she would just come out a completely different way. That's kind of a picture of what prayer is like. And we, we go into prayer one way, and when we yield our heart to him, we, it's a how we can come out of it a completely different way. In fact, I would argue that the word of God is like that and worship is like that. And Pastor Chris talked about those are our three keys. Our three keys to freedom and faith and breakthrough in our life. All three of them have this amazing ability as we enter into God's word, as we enter into worship, as we enter into prayer to be completely transformed and come out a separate way. And we see this in the book of Habakkuk, that what began with a prayer of complaint ended in renewed faith and praise to God, who he knew deep in his core is faithful, even when he can't see it or feel it. And so we have here a beautiful transformation in the book of Habakkuk. So in the, the first chapter, as I said, he pours out his complaint and he's honest with God because we are meant to be honest with God. He already knows what you're thinking anyways. Go to him and pour out your complaint. Look at the book of Psalms. We have a whole book of Psalms that I love it. They're honest, right? And they say, God, where are you? Have you been there before in your life? If, if, if you haven't, I, not to be a Debbie Downer, but you're going to have a moment like that in your life with God. God, where are you? But I love it. I dare you to find a psalm that doesn't end with, but God, I know that you're good. And I know that you're faithful. And so we are meant to bring our complaint and be honest to God. And that's what I love that Habakkuk did. So he brings his complaint. How long, oh God, until you're going to do something about this? And then he steps back and he says in chapter 2, I'm going to stand on my watch post and I'm going to see what God might say. And it says, starting in verse 2, it says, And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. Side note, write down the promises that God speaks to you. We have an amazing capacity to forget. It's, it's incredible how we can so easily forget things, right? Have you ever told your friend, oh, my gosh, man, you, you missed it on Sunday. The word was so good. It was so powerful. And they're like, yeah, okay, what was it about? And you're like, oh, Jesus, Jesus. It's just all about Jesus, right? Because it's amazing how we can be so, like, so changed by the word, but we just are so quick to forget. It's so easy for us to not remember. If you didn't know, remember is the second most used phrase in the Bible for a reason. God is telling us to remember. I love the Psalm, Psalm 42. It's one of my favorite Psalms because it shows it's David in a time of great distress and despair, probably the, maybe the lowest point of, of his life. And it says that even his tears mocked him saying, where is your God? And it said that his tears were his only companion, his constant companion. Even David felt that way. If you're in a season like that, I want to encourage you that even these great people in the Bible, right, we read about, we think they had it all together. No, they didn't. And it says David was in great despair, and his tears were his constant food day and night. But I love what it says. There's a point in the psalm where it shifts, and it says, David says, but then I remember. 
I remember how I used to lead the procession into your house. And I would, we, I would worship you with my hands raised. And he says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him again. See, we have to stir ourselves. We have to remind ourselves that even when we're in the lowest of lows, God is still good. God is still faithful. And writing down the promises helps us. It's a tool God has given us to help us remember and rehearse the promises of God. So that was just a little side note. But he goes on to say, so for this, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. So we see here that God has a set time for things. This is why the scripture goes on to tell us, but the righteous must, they shall live by faith. Every day, every hour, every breath, we must live by faith. You see, the world lives by what they see. The righteous live by what they can't yet see. That's the difference. I love what Pastor Chris said. Those full, the message translation, I believe, says the righteous, those fully alive. Those who are fully alive in Christ don't live by what they see, but we live by what we don't yet see. We walk by faith. We live by faith. We are faith people. It's who we are. Like it or not, it's what you signed up for as a Christ follower. The righteous shall live by faith. Hebrews 11.1 tells us that faith is the evidence of things hoped for. You see, our faith is a gift. It's the evidence that God has given us that it will happen. It's all we got but it's all we need. If God has given you a promise and he's given you faith for it, it's the proof, it's the evidence that it will happen. It's all we got, but it's all we need. We live by faith. You see, the world doesn't understand this, but it's what sets us apart as Christ followers, that we have to learn. Pastor Ken just exhorted some of us the other night. Every day, we have to learn to live by faith faith, contending for, believing for, and building our lives on what we know by faith to be true, even if we can't see it or don't feel it. You see, faith pleases God. In fact, the Bible tells us without faith, it's impossible to please God. Why? Because faith says, God, I don't have to see you to know you're real, and I don't have to have the promise in my hand to know you're good. Hebrews 11.6 says that God is, that he who comes to God must come to him knowing that he is God and that he is a rewarder. I love the scripture. I probably say it every time I'm up here because it's the foundation of our faith. And this must be the foundation of our faith. Let me sum it up for you. He is God and he is good. He is God and he is good. He is God and he is good. Psalm 119 says you are good and you do good. There's no other option for him. That's who he is. He is God and he is good. And this must be the foundation that we build our lives on. He is God and he is good. Without that faith, we can't please him. But faith says, God, I know you're real and I know you're good. And so the, 
And so Hebrews, or I already said that, I'm so sorry, but he goes on to say in the, in the scripture, Habakkuk 2, it says, write it down, wait for it, and it will not lie. Another side note, God is incapable of lying. He's incapable of it. Did you know that God, God has never spoken a promise to you that he has no intention of fulfilling this is sometimes hard for us to believe because we make false promises all the time. Just as humans, we're imperfect, right? But God is not like that. If God said it, you can take it to the bank. It's a done deal. There's four verses in the Bible that tell us God cannot lie. 1 Samuel 15, 29, Hebrews 6, 18, Psalms 89, 30, 35, and Numbers 23, 19 that says, God is not a man that he should lie. Has he said it, and will he not do it? 2 Corinthians 1.20, we all know it. All of his promises are yes and amen. Amen, let it be. All of his promises that he has spoken are yes and amen. So if God is the one who spoke it to you, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. God's timing it's not our timing, right? We wish it was, but so often it's not. I just read in Ecclesiastes the other day, there's time for everything. God has a set time for things. And it says everything is beautiful in its time. And so God has set a certain time for things to happen. But a lot of times he speaks promises to us. And then a long time passes, right, before we see them come to pass. I know there's many promises God has spoken to me that, I, that are nowhere near on the horizon. But I know God's faithful and he spoke it. So if you are perhaps in that place where God has spoken a promise to you and there is a long time of waiting, let me encourage you today, you're in good company. Noah waited 120 years for rain to come. Joseph waited 14 years in prison for a crime he didn't even commit. Abraham waited 25 years for the promised son once he received the promise. Job waited 60 to 70 years for God's justice. Moses waited 40 years in the desert. Paul also waited in the desert for about 12 years. And Jesus, King Jesus, the king of the world, he himself waited 30 years. He only was on this earth 33 and he waited 30 years to begin his ministry. So maybe God has spoken to you that one day you're going to go to the nations and preach and speak. But first, got to learn how to preach to your neighbor. you got to learn how to preach to your kids. you got to learn how to lead a small group. So you got to trust the process. Trust his timing. Only he knows what he is preparing you for. See, it's not my job to know when it will happen. It's only my job to believe it will happen. That's it. So the verse continues in Habakkuk 2. Thank you for that clap back there. <laughs> Good thing. Habakkuk, no, I lost my train of thought. Habakkuk 2, it says, um, though it seems slow. I love this. And when I read this, I almost hear like God chuckling up there, you know. Though it seems slow, because, you know, in God's, in God's perspective, right, like to us it feels like eternity. It's like nothing to him. Though it seems slow, wait for it. And Chris preached a powerful message last week on waiting. Hebrews 6.12 says this, be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherited the promises of God. So we, he, we see here kind of the secret formula for the righteous, that faith and waiting, and I would add waiting well, 
produces the promises of God in our life. So perhaps if it's a really big promise that God has given to you, it's going to take great faith and lots of waiting. And we don't like that, right? It doesn't it sounds beautiful to say it, but we don't want to we don't really want to do it, right? It's not fun, but Romans 8 in the message is a beautiful picture that illustrates that the longer the wait, the sweeter the reward. And it tells us in verse 25 that we are to wait for it with patience. And so it continues on in the verse in the, at the end of um, uh, chapter 2, 2 through 4, and it says, it will surely come, it will not delay. So this is what I want to talk to us about today. What do I do when there seems to be a delay? What do I do when I'm expecting a nice spring, summery day, and here comes the snow, slowing me down? God is so funny how he does that. What do we do in the waiting, in the wilderness, in the desert, in the low places, in the detours, and in the delays? What do we do when God's promise maybe seems so close, but now seems so far away? You know, I know it sounds crazy, but I know many of you could get up here and say the same thing. That in my life, looking back, the times that were the most precious, the times that were the sweetest, the times where Jesus really felt so close and I heard his tender voice were in the times of delay and in the places of pain and in the times of detours and in the times where it felt like I was wandering through the desert. One of my favorite books in the Bible is Hosea, and it's a beautiful picture of God's faithful, reckless love, how he pursues us. It's amazing. I encourage you to read that book. But there's a scripture in, the Bible, in there in chapter 2 that I absolutely love, and I know it's Pastor, one of Pastor Chris' favorite too. But it says in chapter 2, 14 through 15, there's this scripture that God speaks, and he says, Therefore, behold, I will allure her. And bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her there. And there I will give her her vineyards. And I will make the valley of Acre a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. Faith is not produced in the mountaintop moments of our life. Faith is actually produced in the valleys. Now thank God for the mountain top moments, right? When everything's going great, when miracles are happening, when breakthrough is flowing, thank God for those moments, right? And God gives us so many of those moments. But can I tell you that faith is not produced there. Perhaps we could say that maybe our faith is displayed there, but our faith is not made there. Our faith is made in the valleys, in the low places, in the detours, and in the delays. So many people want to bypass the wilderness or hurry through it. Don't. It's actually a blessing. And it's a necessary part of every Christ follower's walk. Even Jesus went to the desert. It is there, as we see in Hosea, that we see God and hear his tender voice without distraction. And the wilderness is where I can see God face to face. I know I've experienced this in my own life, and I know many of you have as well. It is in this place that the Father's love becomes front and center for me. It's where all of the other voices are drowned out so that I can hear his tender, loving voice. It's in the desert, in the wilderness, that I learn that he is 
all I need and all I will ever need. He, this is where I learn it. Not when everything is going great, but when he's really all I've got. I learn that he's all I need and that he's all I'll ever need. It's where I learn to lean on him and even let him carry me when life feels overwhelming. You see, in these moments, in the low, moment, low places, God is teaching you to cast every care on him. Not just 90%, not even 99.9, but I love that. He said, cast every care on me. Remember, he can handle it. Cast every care on me because I care for you. You see, we all have a built-in longing to be fully known and fully seen and fully understood. But can I tell you that no person can ever be that for you? I love my husband, and he honestly is as close to Jesus as any human can get. I'm convinced of it. But he, you're welcome. Pay me later. Just kidding. It's our, our same money. I don't even know what that means. But husband. He's amazing and he's the most incredible husband, but he will never get me like Jesus gets me. Right? That's right. Because women are a mystery, right? He got, he will never get me like Jesus gets me and I will never get him like Jesus gets him. I'll never know the deep things of his heart like Jesus does. But in Jesus, we are fully known and we are fully seen. But sadly, so many people miss out, even as Christ followers, on experiencing that Jesus is truly enough. We sing it out all the time. You're all I want. Right? We all sing that. You're all I need. But is he? Is he? We sing out, you know, Christ is enough for me. And we lift our hands and we're like, that's beautiful. And we're crying our tears, right? And we're feeling it. Oh, man, we are feeling it in that moment. But what happens when Monday comes, right? And, like, everything goes south. And, like, what? Like really? Is really? Is Christ enough for you? Is Christ enough or do you need your Starbucks? Do you need this? Do you need this? Do you need this? You know, it's like what happens when everything starts to go south? Is Christ really enough for us. And I remember there was a time in, in my life where God revealed to me that my faith was way too shallow. And I remember God showing me that at the time that I kind of looked at God in a way like a vending machine, that I knew God was good. I believed he was good. I knew he was God. I knew he was good. And so in my shallow faith, I thought, well, if God is good, then then he should give me whatever I want, basically, right? Like, how shallow is that? And, we, and, we, and that might sound crazy to you, but it's crazy how we can actually live by that theology. And so I remember when things, when I would just have like a week where everything went wrong. I was like, God, I thought you loved me, you know? I thought you're for me. And I just, and there was one point where I remember I just broke down and started crying. And I was even yelling at God because God can handle our complaint. And I remember something broke in me, and God showed me my faith was way too shallow. And I didn't, really have a, I didn't really have a good understanding of who he was. You see, the wilderness is a blessing because God is a good father who knows what we need, and he knows how to produce it in us. Parents, we understand this. Like, if we gave our kids everything that they wanted, we know it would destroy them. But a good parent lovingly, corrects, shapes, teaches, does deep things in our heart. And my faith was, God showed me too shallow. And there's a depth that comes in the valleys. There's a depth of faith that is produced in the wilderness and in the low places. C.S. Lewis says it this way, God allows us to experience the low points in life 
in order to teach us lessons that we could learn no other way. One of my favorite books, uh, maybe some of you have read it, it's called Heinz Feet in High Places. And it's an allegory, and it's beautiful. And it actually was the first book I read as a believer, and I loved it. And it just, I'm a very visual person, so it just painted this beautiful picture in my mind of kind of what it's like to follow Jesus. And if you don't know about the book, I highly recommend it, but it's, a, uh, it's about a character called Much Afraid. As you can imagine, she was much afraid, and she lived in fear. And the Bible, and, or not the Bible, the book said that she had crooked feet, and she desired to go up to the high places where God, or what the book called The Good Shepherd, dwelled. And, but she didn't know how she was going to get there. And so she asked the good shepherd one day, I don't, I'm not content here any longer. Can you take me up to the high places? And being the good shepherd that we know he is, he said, absolutely, I've been waiting for you to ask me that. And he said, I'm going to come back for you tomorrow, and I want you to be ready to follow me. And, and he said, the one thing I, I ask is that will you follow me wherever I lead you? Will you go wherever I tell you to go? Because it's going to require that. And she said, you know, God, of course I will. And we say that, right? But we still have in our mind kind of an expectation of what we think is going to happen. I'm sure she imagined that he was just going to march her straight up to those high places, right? And that there'd be no difficulty or pain or detour or delay. But that's not what happened. And so he came back for her the next day, and, and he began on the journey. And to her surprise, rather than heading that way towards the high places, he led her down into a valley, and she was confused and didn't know what was, why he was doing that. And she began to cry. And there's this beautiful part in the book, and it says this, and I think we might have it up there. But she says this as he's leading her through her first valley. She says, I do love you. You know that I love you. Oh, forgive me because I can't help my tears. I will go down with you into the wilderness right away from the promise if you really wish it. Even if you cannot tell me why it has to be, I will go with you. For you know that I do love you, and you have the right to choose for me anything that you please. And there, much afraid, built her first altar on the mountains, a little pile of broken rocks. And then with the shepherd standing close beside her, she laid down on the altar her trembling, rebelling will. And all throughout this book, you see that as these detours and delays and things happened, that she constantly had to stop and build an altar and lay down her will. Because we say it all the time, right? Not my will, but your will, God. And can I tell you, that's going to take a daily, probably hourly sacrifice. Because, you know, it's, it's not easy, right? She, but we have to constantly lay down our will. God, I'll go wherever you tell me to go. I'll follow wherever you lead. And so I want to share just a personal little moment, that I, story that I had that was kind of like that. And I could probably, there's probably been a lot of moments like that in my walk with Jesus where I had to lay down my will and say, God, I don't understand, but I trust you and I know you're good. And one of them was two year, almost two years ago in April, will be two years we, um, if you didn't know, we were, for my husband and I, for almost 10 years at that point, were trying to get pregnant, believing to get pregnant. And we'd gone to doctors, and there's never been really anything found that was telling us why. So we just had so much peace. We're like, if, if it's God's will, it will happen, and it will happen when it's supposed to happen. And obviously, as you, most of you know, we have three beautiful children 
through adoption because his ways are better than our ways. They're better than we could ever dream or imagine. And that was always God's perfect plan for us. But still in the midst of that, we've had a desire and faith that we would also get pregnant, that that was perhaps also part of God's plan for us. And so we contended for that, believed it, and we just surrendered it to God. We're like, God, we trust you. We trust your will. And to our, our amazement and surprise, um, 10 years later, kind of out of the blue, we found out we were pregnant. And it was such a miracle. It was such a miracle because never in my life have I been able to, had I been pregnant. And so it was such a miracle. And we were just overjoyed and just God is so faithful. He's so good. And we, I'm so grateful we were able to share it with the church. Um, but shortly after that, we, I started experiencing symptoms in my body. So I went to the ER, and um, as you can imagine, with natural sight, you know, we, we, it, they told us we're losing our baby. But we fight the good fight of faith. And so I, we said, no, we know God is good, and he's our healer, and he can raise the dead, and he can do whatever he wants to do. And so we fought the good fight of faith. We were contending. We were believing. We saw her. We believed it was a her. I'm, I still crack up at this. One day I'm going to get to heaven, and he's going to be like, mom, I was a boy. <laughs> i like, but we'll see. But we, we felt that we all felt it was a girl, so we'll see when we get to heaven. God has a sense of humor, so we'll see what happens. But we named, we named her McKinley. Um, but we, we I've, now I've lost my train of thought. But um, anyway, so we, we contended for her and believed for her. And we, um, I remember that, and I, even, I remember I even thank God for modern technology. I found this app where you could read scripture, and it would just replay. So I had scripture just reciting over me even while I slept. And we put on worship music, and we just worshiped God, and we, we fought the good fight of faith. And I remember um, something towards the end of that week, I remember just this, this prayer rose up in me. And, and I said, God, I know that you're good, and I know you can do whatever you want to do. And I am going to fight the good fight of faith, but I'm going to leave the results up to you. And I trust you no matter what. I know you're good, and I know you only do good. So I know I'm in good hands, and I trust you. So we went to our appointment the next day full of faith and expectant to see our baby healthy. And when we got there, the ultrasound showed the baby was gone. But I can honestly say that in that moment, what came out of our mouth was praise. God, we don't understand, but we know you're good. We know you're good, and we know you only do good. And the Bible says that everything God makes has purpose. Everything. God doesn't make something without purpose. And so, but his ways are different than our ways, right? So sometimes we can't understand it, but even though her life was short, her or his life was short, it had so much purpose packed in. And I could go on and on and tell you all of the things that God did in our heart through our little miracle baby. I mean, I remember at that point, our kids were wrestling with, is God real? Is heaven real? And I remember from that moment, it, it's like it made heaven so real and so tangible. And if you've ever lost someone close to you to heaven, you know know how, how, cl how close, how he heaven becomes. And, you know, we need to have an eternal perspective. Our life here on earth is so fleeting. We have all of eternity, all of eternity to be with Jesus and to be together. And I have all of eternity to be with my daughter. And God is so good because in that moment of loss, he showed me my beautiful little girl. So I'm believing that it is a girl, but I saw her seated on the lap of Jesus with the biggest, brightest smile you could ever imagine. And I said, God, thank you. 
Thank you for letting me carry that miracle. Thank you that I have a child in heaven that I get all of eternity with. Thank you that I, I don't maybe understand why her life was cut short, but thank you, God, that you let me experience a miracle that some don't even get to experience. You know, God is so good, and we have to change our perspective. Life is not just about the here and now. We have to have an eternal, eternal perspective that God is good and he only does good and some things he won't have the answer to on this side of earth but I promise you when we get to that place when we're when we're face to face with Jesus all we're gonna say is God you were always faithful you were always faithful and you were always good even when I couldn't understand and I remember there was a uh, at the year marker um, I remember I got a reminder somehow that it had been a year and I remember I realized in that moment that I was in the actual place where I had lost her. I was in my, that physical place of pain. And I remember in that moment, just like she did in that book, I built an altar. And I remember I got down on my knees and I said, God, right here in my place of physical pain, I declare you're good and I praise you and you're faithful. And that's what worship is. It's building an altar. It's saying, God, right here in this moment, no matter what surrounds me, no matter how I feel, no matter what I see, I declare you are good. It's not just saying, but it's singing out high praises to God. Worship is like warfare. And it says, you know, a lot of times... It's like the enemy thinks he got you, right? He thinks that maybe like you're, you're down in the dumps. You're ready to throw in the towel and give up on God. What's so powerful about worship is that in that moment, something rises up in you. And even though you're in that place of despair, like David, you begin to sing out, because you're with me, because you're with me. Because you're with me, I will not fear. And can I tell you, it throws the enemy into confusion. He doesn't understand. If you didn't know, the enemy was fired as the head worship leader in heaven because he wanted to share in the glory and praise of God. So he doesn't understand it when people who are going through difficult stuff in life can still give God all the praise and still say that he is good. It throws the enemy into confusion. It brings confusion to the enemy's camp. Because he thought he got you. He threw pain at you, despair. He threw trials and detours and all these things at you. And he thought, aha, I got her. I got him. And out of your mouth comes praise. Praise is powerful. Praise is our warfare. It's our weapon. It's a tool that God has given to us. And I'm going to show you, show you that as I close here. As Habakkuk closes out, he's poured out his complaint. God has answered. And then he gets to the end of the book, and he says these powerful words. He says this, starting in verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, if the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food, even if the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. For God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. 
So let me ask you a question. Can you still praise God even when you don't have the promise? Can you still praise God even when life seems overwhelming? There's a great psalm in the Bible that says, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Can you still praise God when the breakthrough doesn't seem anywhere near in sight? Psalm 34, 1 says, your praise shall be continually on my lips. Praise cannot be limited to just the fulfillment of promises. God's praise must be continually on our lips. No matter what season we find ourselves in, whether we're in the high places or the low places, his praise is continually on our lips. Is the bedrock of our lives faith in God or not? Do we live by what we can't see or not? If your joy and your praise are limited only to when you can see the promise, can I lovingly encourage you today? Your faith is too shallow like mine was. God wants to take you deeper. He wants to take you higher. He wants to show you that he really is all that you need. Everything else is just bonus. He is all that we need. And he's a good father who will lovingly take us, take us through the valleys and the wilderness and the highs and the lows to ultimately show us that he is all that we need. But can I tell you as I close here, what God is doing in the low places, we saw it here. He's getting your feet and your faith ready to tread on the high places. But you will never go to the high places with God until you first learn to walk with him in the low places. Here is where you learn to hear his voice. You learn to follow his lead. You learn that he alone is your source, your strength, your sustenance, the very breath in your lungs, all that you need is him. You learn that even through disappointment or loss or delay, he is still enough for you. So two things happen when we begin to praise God. He says, yet I will rejoice. Yet I will praise you. And then it says, the Lord God is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. And he makes me to tread on my high places. The first thing that happens when we choose to praise God, he makes our feet like the feet of a deer. If you didn't know, I'm not a hunting expert. Maybe some of you are. But Google told me that deer's feet are a sight to behold. They're quite amazing. Thank you, hunters. You agree? <laughs> but they're, they're, they're uniquely made. They're unlike any other animal. If you didn't know, I think we have a picture, but that, there we go. Look at the deer, this is actually more like a goat, but it's the same species, same family. So we're going to go with it. There we go. I think that's one. You know, they're all the same. The deer goatish family. I mean, look at that. Isn't that amazing? So Google, when you get a chance, Google like deer on climbing mountains or whatever. It's pretty phenomenal. I mean, it'll be like a 90, almost 90 degrees, and they're scaling it, right? So they've got to have some pretty powerful feet to be able to do that. And God has uniquely crafted and thoughtfully crafted their feet. It says that their feet are made strong and they're able to, to um, endure all of the little crevices and, and the things that, the obstacles that they'll come up against. A hind is a female deer that can place her back feet exactly where her front feet step, not one inch off. Could it be that the low places 
are like training for us, where we learn to closely follow the good shepherd. Because see, he's a good father. He's not gonna let you go to the high places until he's equipped you. He's taught you to follow his lead. He's a good father. He's not gonna let that happen because he loves you and he only does good. So he teaches you in the valleys to follow his lead, to stay close behind him. Where he steps, I step. I learned to tenderly hear his voice in the wilderness and follow him wherever he wants to take me so that he can take me to the high places with him. So Psalm 32, eight says this. He says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. So he makes our feet strong, but the deer is also a picture of grace. Great, or they embody grace and ease. There's like a springiness to their step. They're able to clear every obstacle and flee from every enemy. They go to the high treacherous places with grace and ease and enjoyment. Worship and daily communion does this in our lives. It brings a light footedness an ease, a grace to our lives. Habakkuk had this picture in mind when he quoted Psalm 18, when he said, he makes my feet like the deer. There's a light footedness that God wants to bring to us. But what a contrast that is to our sometimes day-to-day lives, right? We go about our day doing great things for God, but we're exhausted, we're heavy footed. We come home and we plop on the couch or we collapse into bed exhausted, right? Just bearing our cross for Jesus. But could it be that that's not the way that God designed us to live? He says he will make your feet like the deer, strong, full of grace, light-footed, so that there's a spring in your step. There's an, an enjoyment to the things that God has called you to do. And so he makes our feet strong and he gives us grace. But the second thing that happens is it says he will set us Some translations say he will set us on our high places. If we will keep ourselves in worship, in simple communion with God every day, and even though the fig tree does not blossom nor fruit be on the vine, we still rejoice in the God of our salvation. Worship is like this, praise is like this. He lifts us up. He lifts us up and he sets us on our high places. Ephesians 2.6 says, he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Isaiah said it this way, that we will soar with wings like an eagle. You see, praise, it has this amazing ability when we're stuck here to lift us up higher, to soar with him, to dwell with him, our perspective changes, our thoughts change. Maybe your circumstances don't change, but you've changed because you've lined your heart up with him. You've magnified the Lord. You've made him big. And there's a scripture in, I'm skipping ahead here, Psalm 34, that says this, as we close, I promise. He says, magnify the Lord with me and come and let us exalt his name together. You know, praise is like that. It's like a magnifying glass. It causes whatever you're focused on to get bigger. David said, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. 
when you find yourself maybe in the low places, maybe maybe you've you're at a delay. Maybe you've got you God detoured you. It seems. Maybe you're in a place of pain. Wherever you find yourself at, stop and worship God. Give him praise and magnify his name and watch how everything else becomes small. We all know this to be true, but it's amazing how, just like I talked about prayer being that portal, worship is like that too. Maybe you have an obstacle that seems so big and overwhelming in front of you. But what always happens in worship is that you, you begin to change your focus and you focus on God and you begin to magnify him. And all of a sudden that thing becomes so small and he becomes so big. That's what praise is like for us. Because in the mountain top, he is faithful. And in the valley, he is faithful. He is always faithful. So whatever season we find ourselves in, can we stop and praise him and lift him up and magnify his name? Come and let us exalt his name together. And it goes on to say that I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all of my fears. So this is what we're going to do on Palm Sunday. I'm going to ask you to stand. And I want us to close and worship and praise this morning. I want us to build an altar of praise and say, God, though the fig tree may not blossom and nor fruit be on the vine in my life, yet I will praise you and I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. And I promise as you do that this morning, he said, he will make your feet like the feet of the deer. He will make your feet strong. He will bring an ease to your life. He will pour out his grace on you and he will set you on the high places where Christ is seated. Can I pray for you this morning? And then we're gonna worship. And I wanna invite you, we're gonna go for a few minutes. We can do that because we're the last service here. I wanna invite you, if, if this is particularly for you, and you say, you know what, I, this morning I feel like I need to build an altar. I wanna invite you when I'm done praying and as we worship to come forward. I think there's always kind of a special anointing. There's something special about stepping out and saying, God, I'm choosing no matter how I feel, no matter what I see to declare you're good and you're faithful. So God, this morning, we thank you, Jesus, that you are worthy of all of our praise. God, we thank you that you are good and you only do good. God, that's what we believe this morning. We are faith people. And you said the righteous shall live by faith. So God, I thank you, Jesus. God, that we would be truly faith people. We don't walk according to what we see, but we live by what we don't yet see. Because we know that you're good and you're, we know that you're faithful. And God, we know you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you never change. And you never change your mind on us. So God, this morning, we choose to magnify your name. We build an altar of praise. We, we thank you, Jesus, that you have always been faithful in our lives. God, even when we're faithless, you remain faithful. So God, I pray this morning, God, that you would come and encourage our hearts. Lord, as we make you big this morning, I think you, everything else becomes so small. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Capital Christian. We hope you will stay connected by following us online. To find out more information, visit us at capitalchristian.com.